this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, my name is Francis, and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm joined by Scott Duncan, editor of El Porvenir Ya. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And also, I go by Scott Russell Duncan. <laughs> Scott Russell Duncan. Yeah. <laughs> I had too many people check my ID for how I want to use my whole name. <laughs> okay, perfect. So... Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background and how the book came into being? Well, uh, like I said, my name's Scott. Um, I'm from uh, Southern California, North Texas, uh, mostly from a little town called Ramona, California. Um, I'm Chicano, and obviously my name isn't, but uh, I, I, I got a book coming out this year called Obes California Strikes Back through Flower Song Press. I'm a writer and editor. Um, but El Pobre Ya, the, the, uh, it's the first Chicano sci-fi anthology it came out uh, in 2022, I believe. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's, it was the, actually it's the first thing me and the head, the executive editor, I should say, Omar Mother Rendon talked about when I joined up, um, you know, when we're just a mag, it's almost since Crito's a, a literary magazine and we became a press, a small Chicano press later, um, and we're trying to build, I mean, basically, I should, maybe I should talk about that first. It's, it's a small press. We're trying to um, publish what, um, and you know, like uh, encourage the stories of Rasa uh, and, and um, basically be the institution nobody else is going to build for us, right? And, and be kind of the anti-main main press, right? Or at least alternate, alternate main press for uh, the stories of our community that we need or get overlooked. Um but one of the first things me and Armando, Armando is the uh, author of Chicano Manifesto, a seminal work of in the 60s for the Chicano movement. And uh, he has this little library of a lot of like old school uh, uh, sci-fi books. And I was talking to him about it. And some other books that come out like uh, like Latino and Latinx um, sci-fi anthologies. And we had talked about, actually we had talked about uh, R.C.H. Garcia, who is... Um, uh, like we published one of his books as well. It's called the death song of the dragon Chicxulub. 
and um, Ernest Hogan, both are both of these 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 two are like really you know they've been around in the sci-fi arena for a long time. And we talked about there's books and our our lack of rec, uh, representation and our lack of uh, you know we have people telling these stories, and uh, you know they're not getting any uh, you know there's you know Netflix isn't making any of their <laughs> in their novels into uh, in, into movies, and uh, or and also we're getting kind of. Um, we're not really recognized. You know, the uh, authors like that and often get, you know, they get into other uh, ethnicities, you know, like that I, I think are imposed upon us, like Latinx and Latino. That's Eurocentric in my view. But, um, and so they conclude that, but, but our, our particular issues, our particular backgrounds, our particular, uh, uh, you know, neat conversations we need to have get skipped over. And uh, we really thought, uh, we really needed to have a, a Chicano uh, sci-fi or what, what we're trying to call now the Chicano futurist point of view and have this bring them together and have this space because um, there's there's been a lot and there's I mean I didn't mention uh, what's it uh, Rosada Sanchez and I forget Beatriz I can't remember her last name I'm sorry but they wrote Luna Braceros quite a number of years ago so there have been a few figures that have been you know last um, for more than 20 years have been putting out like we, well, you could say Chicano sci-fi, and there's been, you know, a lot of books on, like, you know, the Ragdoll Plague, Ragdoll Plagues, which is a really great book by someone who's deceased. I forget his name because I'm bad at names. But like, like we've been around, but this is the first place, and it's strange because it's, it's not 1981, it's not 1975, it was 2022, <laughs> you know, uh, for this to come out. So I mean, that that was the whole um, gist to get through, and and we didn't have an open call. We 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 uh, we run a um, what do you call it? A uh, ex- we call it extra fiction contest every year, right? That's kind of open to more more backgrounds than just Chicano, but um, and we we did that for a few years, and we, we had a pretty good um, you know thumb on what's going on. So we started contacting all these writers and saying, "You want to be in this?" And you know, I'm really I'm happy with the way um, uh, for our response, and you know, we and we just kind of put all them in certain categories we saw that was going on, you know, and. Um, so you said that you don't think it's fair for Chicano narratives to be subsumed under a larger Latinx genre. What is what is Chicano specifically? As a, as a- uh, I mean, Chicano is an ethnicity. Chicano is a political stance, and uh, Chicano is uh, basically a beaten, uh, decolonized Mexican American, right? Um, I mean. What they say, a Mexican American without an Anglo notion of themselves. I forget that exact quote, right? And like, it's an indigenous point of view, right? Um, and I mean, ultimately, Latino, Latinx, Latina, all it's it's a Eurocentric is literally from Napoleon the Third. I mean, this is my own thing, right? I mean, like I like most writers are gonna. I mean, I'm in plenty of Latin, <laughs> Latinx anthologies. Uh, just don't call me, uh, you know, whatever. You know, I'll, I'll you know, I want to get published, but I think it's um, it's something that's um, like we're, we're going to be a plurality in the near future, right? Um, and uh, whatever term you might want to call us, it. and it's uh, it's degrading our voice, degrading our ability to have our own conversations if if we're uh, always put in with with these other groups, right? Which I like. We have unity with other groups. That's not the issue, you know. I mean, with with uh, this, you know, tribally affiliated nations, right? With with other people that that you know, Puerto Ricans, Boricua, you know, like uh, and. Uh, there's plenty of groups that we have affiliations with, but it's just like we need to have our own spaces. And uh, particularly when if we're going to be the plurality, like the, that means that the most people, you know, it's not we're not, we're not going to be the most, but we will be 
like uh, all the other groups would be smaller than us. And so we need to have this. It's going to be very important for this country for what kind of um, character we have. Right. And like, you know, the future is like we got we got a dying planet. We have, you know, this (laughs) rampant capitalist uh, system, like uh, really exploding the heck out of everybody. Like, uh, you know, like this change. And since I was born in the 70s, like, uh, you know, you could. You know, like, I don't know to say preaching the choir, but like, or, or anything, you know, but like you could go to college and uh, off of a checkout job, checkout job, at the grocery store. That's that's a joke now, you know, and so things have changed and things have gotten worse. And what kind of people certainly the, the future might happen is certainly like everyone's concern. And, and particularly uh, for the cauldron that science fiction can be and, and the idea of the future and that, that, the ideas that can formulate that. That's the, to me, that's one of the most important things. And and uh, having having our people uh, in some ways like join in to things like the red new deal um, and other things like this are like we're more important, you know, and to see, and to see the, you know, um, connect, reconnect with our history and, you know, <laughs> and go against these, uh, these forces. Right. The diverse, the, the importance of a diversity of perspectives in shaping the future. I'm wondering if you could tell us, that some of the ways or some of the elements or perspectives in Chicano science fiction that make it distinct from American or British sci-fi that's maybe more <laughs> um, Well, I mean, I can go, I can tell you, I mean, there's, there, it, it, I can even go from the, um, the sections and like, I, like we, we, we tump some of these um, stories into, right? I mean, I mean, it's kind of like uh, there's often a longing for uh, connection to history, right? You see that a lot, like with with uh, time travel, because we, you know, our education is robbed from us. You know, like I didn't get into any kind of uh, my own past other than, um, you know, the black legend um, that we're, you know, that often this this country flips off to whether we're indigenous or not, according to its own needs. Um, and then uh, until I was well into college, you know, um, and then I had to do it on my own. Um, but you see this yearning for connection to the history there. I think often you see this, um, anticipation that we will be the, the, you know, the, the, the numbers will return to, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who, if they don't actually are talking about it, you know, there's a concept, the Eagle and the Condor about the, uh, the numbers re- like uh, returning of indigenous people, but also, you know, just the idea that, you know, this, uh, Mexico that was, uh, invaded and occupied is going to have Mexicans in it again. You know, well, like my family's never left. We've been here the entire time, but like, it's going to have the numbers that, that show. And it's already the truth in many places, Southern California, the Southwest, a lot of places and places in Washington. <laughs> that's, that wasn't, you know, uh, that's, that, that's a bit of stretch there, but, um, but I would say some of the other ideas is like, uh, worry about losing a culture. I mean, look at, um, there's a story by Carmen Baca, um, uh, she's, you know, there's some specific regionalisms, um, like, uh, being a Nueva Mexicana, uh, she's worried about that culture going away, you know, like that's, uh, we, like that's my own grandfather's side. Like we're, we, we exist in Northern New Mexico because, um, is unlike in California, they, everyone came there. Right. And, um, you know, there's a lot more people to deal with there. It's just like, uh, it's more remote. There's less, but now that's kind of changing. People are losing the ways, and so there's there's this anxiety about losing ways or losing um, traditional ways. Um, there's also um, ideas about uh, what do you call it? Like I would say when in Hogan's story about um, um, pushing culture away, because it's also about culture too, right? I mean, like not pushing culture away. I mean, um, if like uh, spreading culture, right? He has a story about. 
a Mexican restaurant being kind of a vanguard <laughs> uh, of uh, like uh, programming for to, to, to Mexicanize everyone. Right. Uh, and that kind of thing makes it um, I always thought, you know, I'm from uh, Southern California and Texas. Right. And so you see like how culture really affects people. And like you kind of wondering and I my, myself, I'm half white and I can see how different ways affect people and how they uh, they they take upon um, different cultural items. Right. And where does that line at like at one point are you are you uh, chicano or or anglo at what point right and so it's and you see a lot of people um uh, even within the chicano community that that may be from you know, other places but are you know full of chicano culture so i mean i think there's a, I mean, a few other things that might uh, like connection with the land too like definitely i mean there are a lot of land issues that comes up quite a lot um uh, connection with indigenous selves too, because like our like we often are come from many different indigenous backgrounds, and you know new indigenous identities are born all the time in reaction to this kind of colonial like invasion, occupation, whatnot. Um, and uh, trying to and there are a lot of things with identity. I would think uh, Pedro Iniguez's is um, story is really a really great story in it. Um, he flies. It's about a young guy like he, he's a prisoner. He's cloned of a prisoner, and he, he and he's um, thrown into a war on a planet. And uh, he has no background. I mean, it's almost, you know, I mean, not to overdo it. I mean, it's like it, it was it's, it was real. It's it's really much like the Chicano condition. We like we're robbed of our history. We're often robbed of our culture or, or really enforced not to um, not to uh, engage with it. I, I can tell you all the old people have told me like uh, they all made fun of me and they uh, for my dear taco, like, you know, like on my uh, some of my Apache relatives or like their tacos, they ate rather than like, you know, mayonnaise sandwiches or peanut butter sandwiches, whatever. Right. <laughs> and it's like, so that, it's like, it sounds ridiculous, but that, you know, it, it's affecting children. So like it's, it's another way of uh, reinforcing uh, erasing us. And so there's this constant lack of knowing who we are, even our presence here. We don't know about like our own um, history, heroes, organizations, present in the United States that's been here since 1846. Right. And, uh, and so, uh, there's a lack of knowing who we are. And you see in this story, like, uh, he finally, uh, like, uh, melds with this alien that he's supposed to be fighting is supposed to be evil. And he finds out that he finally has, he finally has an identity. He finally has a people when he connects with these, like, you know, it's, it's kind of obviously like a trope for like, in, 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 I can't say the word in, 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 indigeneity. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And so it's like it's he's he's finally found this connection and his people and you know and then he joins their and then like you know ultimately there's some kind of destruction. But um, I would say some some other other things too. And also like I think being seen visibility is always a big thing. I think for a lot of people that uh, are like outlier or subjugated or have other terms you want to use, like we're just not not seen. I mean, I think there's one uh, Rudy Garcia's um, R C H Garcia goes by. His one where he shows uh, he has a Anglo vet uh, being shown around back to about an eight, a young Asian bo- um, young man. Um, and he shows him throughout the like through this time travel bus. It sounds a little funny, right? Throughout the the uh, history of Denver, right? It's, it's a lot of uh, Chicano uh, and uh, history of Asian Chicanos and other people. And showing and through this character, he sees like, hey, this in uh like he, he's able to change right and he's able to see like i've related the wrong way and so he's able to like be part of the society and um and, and not be like not not have the uh you know attitudes toward women attitudes towards uh like the, the the kid that he's that's actually taking his time out to show this old you know he's an old guy he's like 30 right but older than him to show him around right 
so I think, yeah, and, and generally speaking, also, um, there's, I would think from other works, you know, not just about this book, there's a lot of, um, I think there's, uh, like, going against what the this, this society is portraying, like, as violence. Like, I mean, a lot of times people talk about the barrio. There's a lot of, like, slumming stories about going to the barrio, like, from, you know, um, the mainstream, like, scary Mexicans, uh, Vato Locos coming down, you know, or, like, the, uh, what, do you, what they call the tragic mestiza kind of type, like, you know, there's a whole kind of like that social realist d- diseased woman who will pull you down and then have like 50 kids and will make you not middle class anymore. You better watch out. You know? But rather than that, the barrio is a place of uh, possibility of uh, melding of different uh, paths and um, and like and not a not this and more of a wonderland and not this place of of, of use and uh, as terror. You know, I mean, there's any any violence is like I mean, you can walk out there, you walk out the barrio and encounter violence as well, right? But um, <laughs> I think uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of things that make it distinct, but there's also you know there's also influences from from you know the mainstream and other places as well. So it's kind of like a science fiction can kind of be a tool for reframing for Chicano Chicano narratives, um, both both historical and contemporary about the place that a Chicano person um, can does and can occupy in society. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, I mean, we're actually we're having this workshop, Palabas del Pueblo, um, and like we're talking about these kind of issues to me, the um I think a lot of times what the main, I mean, there are some really great books that, you know, successful writers, not myself, right. Um, they're put out there, but I think our narratives are locked or I see the same thing. I saw a book. I was like, this is the same book. This is the same book that came out in the eighties. And I'm and not just, you see that happen a lot with other, with any kind of culture or book, but for us, it seems to happen quite a lot. And I think there's the gatekeepers only want one kinds like certain kinds of stories from us. And it gets, it gets to be, I think it affects us as a people first, how, because we don't actually get to see our, our own work that much, right? Because it's not because they're not going to be promote. They're only going to promote what they're going to promote, and it's not like everybody. It's it's it is the stories that they allow to come through, and you know, there's obviously that whole you know the um, what do you call it? Not the cat in the bag, but at any rate, the American Dirt kind of showed this whole problem, right? Um, with somebody who's not a Mexican uh, immigrant or a Mexican or even Chicana um, to uh, who got you know, when they say the trifecta, the, 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 uh, promotion, they got, <laughs> what's her name? Oprah. They got, uh, in, in a million bucks, right? Nobody gets that. None of our, our, our greatest writers don't get that, you know? And, but, uh, and then she portrayed us as violent and all these sorts of things. Right. Um, I've already forgot the question. <laughs> what was it? Again? I'm sorry. That's okay. Like American dirt got me hot. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was crazy. I, that was during COVID I think. Right. I believe so. Yeah, it's been a bit. Well, I guess just kind of similar, similar train of thought. I just wanted to ask you about this line in the book, er, in the preface by Ernest Hogan that I thought was really interesting, which was that Chicano is a science fiction state of being. Oh yes, that's okay. Yeah, I remember the question now. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean to yeah to me. Uh, I'll, I'll get to this a moment. To me, the uh, sci-fi, speculative fiction, all this in in uh, when it comes to Chicano writing, it is, um, I guess, the place that we most can uh, do all this work of formation, right? 
where like we can push ourselves to to see new visions i mean it can also just be like other things too right it doesn't have to always be that like nothing always has to be this like we need to do this for you know for you know the push ourselves forward whatever people can write other stuff but like i i see as far as this space it has potential and i and i see a lot of it like to work out these ideas of who we are what can we be who what we need to address um, and to evolve, right? I think I think this play, I think Chicano futurism is a spot where everyone can finally um, have new ideas about ourselves and not have these same kind of narratives. Uh, like, you know, I'm not saying all these books are always bad, but it's just like if it's it's the same thing. Like, um, you know, I mean, I personally like experimental fiction, but I see it's hold. But from my opinion, it's holding us back. But on the to Hogan's statement, I mean, um, that's that, that, I mean, a lot of people talk about this. This is um, this is you know. Kind of, semi-famous statement from him uh he's uh he wrote uh the chicano not uh manifesto i believe right that's a very short essay but it it, it's exactly a thousand percent true like every time you any any uh what you might uh call they say people of color but non-white person or like whatever there are other terms for them right for us um whatever we put uh a pen to paper we're just proving a lot of what this this country says about us, right? That we're violent, that we're backwards, that we have no like worthy culture. That unless that somebody comes along and exploits it, right? Um, and so we are creating ourselves, particularly when we got often. Uh, you think of all these old uh, old school Chicano um, presses, right? Uh, uh, that had to do quite, and then a, a lot of the work since the '80s to like really go back and find out all our um, all our writers. Um, that are forgotten all our you know all our like literary movements that are forgotten there was a literary movement in las vegas new mexico in the 1880s that nobody knows about you know like uh i forget the name of the guy that um that was uh there's a, a figure around it but like it's it was it was people that that came from um a, this a lot of people sitting in the work through the newspaper that was uh in spanish language newspaper kind of spanglish right and so there was, there's a lot that, and, you know, nobody's archiving it because, uh, you know, since then we were not considered worthy of study, right? Worthy of, of portrayal or everything we're doing is not, is not uh, worth anything. So no one's uh, uh, saved it. So they did a lot of work to, to save our own, our own, our own culture. And so I think, um, <laughs> I get detrained, so I know a little more copy, um, but like we need, uh, but our creating ourselves takes a lot of research right uh to to know because we're 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 taking like we're expected to live other people's lives to be honest right i'm you know like the encroachment of uh of american culture um like to totally erase us to totally tell, tell us how we should be to tell us like literally not to speak or speak our own languages or like uh let's let's say if you want to like learn spanish again you go to spanish class what, what do they teach you there they teach you how how they teach you tourist spanish not how to speak to your grandmother. So even in our education about ourselves, is often Anglo-centric, right? It, it's like, uh, they're not going to say, what do you say when your grandma yells at you to clean your room? It says like, how do you order a daiquiri? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, and so um, so I think this uh, Chica uh, Chicano is a sci-fi state of being. And we are speculative people, right? We are, because um, while we've been around, this this concept of uh, being Chicana Chicana or Chicanex is from the '60s, right? Like uh, it, Chicano really means dark. It was a slur against. Uh, it'd be like Cholo today, right? It'd be like or Chola. Uh, it means dark native person, right? Dark or dark Indio, which some people don't like to say, but um, but it's 
but it, it is a new creation. It is a, um, and so it is, it is sci-fi. It is speculative. We are, you know, we are trying to form of who we are still. And it's, it's something always under attack and shifting. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. That's really interesting. It's like, yeah. Because I think of sci-fi so much as trying to formulate a way in which the future can look based on present conditions and and I and imagination about the future. And that is that's so interesting to apply that to a group of people also. But, I might imagine I might also add in that um, I very often like, you know, since, you know, I'm uh, in my late 40s, perhaps the last year of my 40s, unfortunately, yeah, I, what I've seen like throughout, uh, you know, things have changed a bit, but not always as much as people think, right? As far as like, uh, you know, books and sci-fi, um, like and television and movies and whatnot. I mean, I mean, look at Avatar. I mean, my God. But um, but like our, our portrayals are like we're not seen. We're not like uh, and then uh, there's a huge problem in that the mainstream uh whatever like we we don't have our own auspices to it is uh most more than often anglo written anglo produced and anglo and you know directed by anybody but us right and then uh and then so how how are these our stories the very few that get through right and on top of that i think it's very traditional american story to, to show these um overcoming uh, uh like through like bug-eyed monsters and alien cgi and, and or like you know old school uh, Captain Kirk fighting the Gorn. You remember that the Lizard Man, um, like that. That's that is reinforcing this colonial relationship with with other groups. The Anglo uh, living in fear of the other, right? Like we're definitely we're not in that binary of the society that's often uh, like uh, black or white. We're we're the other. Um, we're also indigenous uh, when they want us to be, right? And then because uh, also the government t- says who is or not, right? But so. My biggest, best example of that is like, think of all the movies filmed at Vasquez Rocks. If you know Vasquez Rocks. Right. <laughs> if you saw them, they're rocks in LA, north of LA, they're shaped like this. And like uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, Star Trek, all the Star Treks, really. Um, and so this is a um, natural formation in, in our, you know, part of our homeland, which overlaps with many people, of course. And also where one of our folk heroes hit out, Tiburcio Vasquez. He was, um, if you know Joaquin Marietta, um, Marietta, who's a big, you know, Yo Soy Joaquin was a big uh, poem. He was sung about, they wrote about, there was a book about him. He was, he's partly real, partly not. But Tiburcio Vasquez was real. He was, you know, came later than the 1850s, he was in the 1880s. Tiburcio Vasquez said all these things about, like, he only robbed Americans. <laughs> and he only, he was supported by Californios, like the Mexicans throughout the state, you know. And uh, he was still supported by the last governor, uh, Mexican governor of California. You know, he didn't turn them in. Um, and so he was celebrated uh, and he, he talked about like the, the uh, abuses of the American system, the abuses of, of American people against Mexican people. And so uh, he, that's where he he'd head out and where he was. Uh, I believe that's where he was finally um, busted. Right. Um, but it might have been a house too, some uh, close by there. But how is that? an alien spot, right? And so the people 
are indigenous people that are in these alien roles, right? On these alien worlds that are anything but where the, um, the main character, it's always not us, right? It's centered American, most often uh, American white guy um, is reinforcing his, their, their, their culture and their stance against us, right? These stories got to change. You know, I've, I've had these conversations like we can't have these stories are essentially Westerns that are like about genocide, about occupation, and then expect and expect us all to get along. <laughs> you know, we got to have a new kind of story. And it, like because we're, we're all here. I mean, like I'm, I'm very much into Chicano sci-fi, but it's also we're going to be plurality. How do we relate? How do we relate to others? And how, you know, and but we also need to call out how others have traditionally portrayed ourselves in our native uh, cousins. I really like that idea of Chicano sci-fi being a, a way to open up sci-fi as a genre, as a whole genre, genre. Um, because I think you're right. I think that so much of mainstream sci-fi is just a colonial fantasy that's being replayed over and over, um, which is the white man as conqueror and native people as other and we see that either whether it's taking place in space or in the future or technology or whatever like it it is it's kind of just a tired besides for being problematic it's also just kind of a tired story and it also ties in with patriarchy because the other the other thing is like the um you know the white human character like holding the blue uh, human woman <laughs> the blue uh, alien woman or green or whoever with little antennas um, you know, it's it's a sexual it's a sexualized fantasy. It, I mean, colonialism is sexualized, particularly, you know, it's it's something uh, we call it rapacious. Uh, you know, it's about, you know, whether it was from the, you know, the British or the Spanish, you know, it was it was the same. Uh, and, and it's reinforcing these, uh, you know, I mean, I people's fantasy, people fantasize about whatever. Right. But it, but that's not the point. The point is that, like, this has got all this struck these these. Um, uh, structures and of uh, exploitation behind it, right? And um, and then you know that's that's our past, you know. I mean, like they they flip flop on who we are, like far as indigenous or these uh, supposed Southern Europeans, right? Um, but you know, like I have war criminals in my <laughs> family line from uh, colonization on both sides, my Anglo and Spanish ancestors, right? And though I you know I see myself as Chicano, um, but this is a but that's a fact of colonization um you know of like these people who did horrible things and often got away with it and still today you know um but yeah i mean it's it's uh it also always makes me think of the quiet place right you know jim from the office he wrote he did this movie called the quiet place it was um I watched it. I, I was, my stomach was turning and, you know, it, it went really went against my, uh, every being my Chicanismo to, cause I paid for that movie and I had, I wanted to leave. Same thing happened to Avatar, but my Cherokee friend, I was like, <laughs> like, like I, if I leave, he's gonna be pissed. Cause we paid for it. But I, yeah, I couldn't, I can hardly, hardly stand to stay in the theater because, uh, you know, the quiet place, like, and I read about it afterwards, cause it's basic, it is a devil in the woods, 500 year old story about um native people uh being scary strong and how important it is to uh to kill them and overcome them right and uh i saw what jim from the office he's the director um like wrote about it and he's saying oh i I had no kind of colonial attitude about this it's about protecting the women and children that's that's exactly why all these native folks are dead because the excuse is we got to protect the women and children and 
because you know of course the the british brought their wives with them and not like the spanish where they came here and had married married people and had you know uh, 15 uh mistresses and <laughs> whatever but the english murdered everyone rather so that's exactly that is an anglo tale and if for him not to see that he, he needs to, like i always think you can you can write about other people you can write these stories that you typically tell but you got to learn about the history representation right and i think he, he felt in a big way about that you know i mean that's that is that is the that is a colonial that's a colonial american tale that he he's retold and it, it's and it, it keeps on going on and on and on, you know. And so I think we, we need to have, I think Chicano sci-fi, <laughs> Chicano futurism is a way to go against this. And then perhaps if, if let's say, Jim from the office would, would read it, he can say, wait a second, I should make The Quiet Place number three, but make it, you know, like they become friends and, and, and with the uh, aliens, uh, you know, or then I have some brown people to star in my movie as well. And maybe, you know, maybe I'll direct it, but I'll let some, some uh, Chicano writers write it. And so... <laughs> You know, and so we can have a better, uh, you know, story where it's not about killing anybody who's slightly different from you. <laughs> if you're listening, Jim from the office, do better. <laughs> you can make a donation to Somos Inscrito Literary Foundation Press. All will be forgiven. <laughs> and to this podcast. <laughs> Were there specific themes or motifs within Chicano culture that you were hoping to highlight in this anthology? Um, <laughs> it kind of like, uh, you know, I mean, we all got our, our own views and things like this. Like I like, I mean, there, it's, it's just uh, it, it like we have another anthology coming out. Um, but I mean, for this anthology, um, I, I, I kind of expected, um, I mean, I got a little, some different things, right? I mean, like, I think there was it's, it's some surprising, but I wasn't super surprised. You know, I'm, I've been, you know, I read Chicano work, I'm Chicano. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I can't, the, I expected like uh, Rasquachism, you know, that means um, kind of thrown together, uh, could mean tacky, but it also means kind of thrown together. Like uh, if like, uh, well, my grandparents had this, like, like if you go to, uh, like a old school Chicano house, they they've got like uh, tires as uh, as um, flower pot holders, and they reuse everything. It's kind of it's kind of apocalyptic type type uh, like the reuse of these materials that are, are from other that were reformed from other um, objects, right? But they break, and you reform them, and you reuse them. It's got a strong recycling kind of element to it, pro Earth, um, and so even if they don't say that, but it's. Uh, so it's kind of like thrown together Resquatuism. Um, there was ideas about, uh, I kind of expected that. And uh, I didn't really see anything I didn't expect. I mean, we did uh, include, like broaden the the um, kind of scope for El Pobrino Ya in that we have like this, uh, I, I saw this perspective, this story uh, called um, El Pabolito, right? It's kind of a hard story to read. It, I mean, in that it's kind of like very harsh. It, it's... Um, it, it, the 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 author and her name I'm bad at names I'm really sorry I forgot my own um, uh, she she saw this um, this small record from from um, a Spanish the Spanish records in I forget um, someplace in, in you know Mexico saying how this uh, infant dead infant was hurled at this Spa uh, Spanish man by a by a, a native man right it was obviously a, a mixed race infant right uh, and hurled it at him and she wrote the story around it uh, and you know in the story it's the um 
the Spanish man, obviously there's some kind of like, you know, rape or like uh, use of this young woman, native woman. And he, like uh, the, the character, a native character who used to be a bit, uh, a bit more standing before the invasion is now uh, like, or not, maybe not, but like he, uh, so he, he is part of the church, right? But he's like, he's like, like the handyman. And he takes this infant and he bury and he buries it into like this old um, uh, native sanctuary, a place of honor, right? And he, it's basically showing that, well, like though he wasn't this this uh, this um, infant wasn't cared for in life. I mean, wasn't cared for in death by his own own father, uh, own whatever wasn't uh, like. I mean, his mother meant nothing to him. That that this. Uh, this indigenous uh, structure still like via this man still was still there to take care of him. Like to bring him into like to be with the rest of his family and, and ancestors. Right. And it's a hard story to read. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, go, there are a lot of stories like that. The first, um, mystique, wait, I don't like mestizo as a colonial term. It's like mulatto. Right. But like, um, the first mixed race, uh, child born in California was product of, of rape. And, um, some in the, the priest wrote, you know, this long little thing about how, the uh, the mother um, you know left the infant exposed the infant to the elements, and the priest wrote all these long um, diatribe about how evil it was and all this stuff like that. I'm like, what about what about the soldier? You know, <laughs> what about what about the man the, the group of men? You know that that did this thing. Um, so th- there's all sorts of things. That's our you know that's definitely in our that's in our past. And so this this story, uh, you know, it's a little more it was a little more surprising, but I, I thought it really fit in that it, it is us reclaiming. Like with this this infant, right? Reclaiming our past, reclaiming our people, and saying and, and protecting them in, in many ways. Are there any other stories in the anthology that particularly stuck out to you or resonated with you? Yeah, uh, Kathleen McAlad's story. Um, I mean, I did, I did throw a, you know used editor's purview to throw one of mine one of mine in, but I, <laughs> it's a little trashy for me to talk about it. So, uh, but. Um, yeah, Kathy Akalad's story, um, Oscar and Natalia and Oscar, that really uh, stuck out to me. I mean, it's uh, I, I really like short work in uh, flash fiction, uh, microfiction, and a long story for me is like more than four pages. Um, but she has a lot of um, character and narrative driving and focus, right, in, in this story. It's about <laughs> some, some kind of uh, strange happening happens and the cat starts talking there's some natural disasters going on and the really the focus is so much on these couple and we follow them and you don't kind of notice like all this is like strangest is happening and the cat's talking to them to bring the cat with them and they go to Mexico to stay with some relatives or who live in a little more uh, real existence and have more, you know, food and all this kind of thing. And all this strangeness happens. And at the very end, the, um, the, uh, I believe the husband in this relationship or boyfriend, he, <laughs> He start he starts hearing uh, like otherworldly voices and then there's a there's like kind of the spiritual or otherworldly or astral whatever train comes along and he gets on and there's no explanation for anything you know like why the cat talking and you take it as, as it's this I found it surprise it really stuck out to me I, it, I think it's very well done but I mean um, so I thought you know that was a little surprising to me I, I really really enjoyed it um, and I think it's from it might be an excerpt from her upcoming book which may not be out yet uh there's some other things like the um uh who, who do you call it the uh the the authors of lunar Barcelos, uh and then i forgot the name of the sequel to that um they wrote uh kind of a chime travel tale about uh this young um grad student going back and going to the time of 
the U.S. invasion. Like you don't often see that. Like my my grandmother's side's uh, Californios and like Mission Indians from California. You don't often see stories about us, right? That aren't like these horrible racist stories, like Zorro. Zorro Zorro's by uh, like speaking of uh, like he was a terrible. The guy who wrote it is a terrible person. Is it is a whitewashing fantasy. My ancestors weren't Spaniards in California, you know, and there were so few Spaniards, not very many. There were the priests. Um, and so, and it wasn't, you know, it, it's Zorro is like, the, the, they're trying to re- rehash him and bring him up. It, it was, is a real slap in the face to see him call, to call them Joaquin Marietta and all this stuff like that. And also the, uh, California had a, um, uh, federalist, uh, rebellion as the U S invaded. It was to, uh, it, it was actually using a lot of ideals from the American revolution to, to, um, uh, for all these kind of reforms, right? Uh, for for humanistic re- reforms, the U.S. put a kibosh on that, right? <laughs> and so, um, for them, but in the movies of Zorro with Antonio Mandelas, they it, it's like all of a sudden these evil, like um, sp- these evil Spanish uh, Californios are rebelling are, are rebelling in a very similar way against the U.S. For uh, like it, it's like it didn't happen like that. They 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 came in to a um, like, you know, like the more to a rebellion, the federal, there was all throughout Latin America, there was these federalist and centralist rebellions. And this was part of it. And they, in that inspired by the American revolution. And they actually, you know, um, started hunting, hunting native, native people, stealing all the land, lynching Mexicans. Uh, so it's, it, to, to portray the U S as some kind of liberator is, is, is worse than a joke when it comes to this time in California. So anyway, sorrow, horrible, <laughs> but you don't see that many California stories that are, you know, because they're so linked with Zorro. But, I, I, you know, so this I think this kind of has to be undone. Can you comment on the future of Chicano sci-fi? Are there any emerging authors or trends that we should be watching for? Um, yeah, so uh, we're like that's almost in Escrito. We're like we're trying to you know, help push things ahead. Um, I mean, one uh there's a young author of uh, uh, Pedro Niguez in, in the, you know, I don't want to like single you know, people out like that, but he, but he's, he's doing like, he's prolific. I don't know what he, I don't know. <laughs> he's writing quite a lot and he gets and they're good and gets published quite a lot. Right. Um, and so like, I think he's definitely someone to look to. Um, there are other, there are all, all sorts of people writing. I mean, obviously there's David Bowles. David Bowles has been around a bit. He wrote, he wrote a, a book. He's not into the collection, but he wrote a, a book. I quite, I like a lot. It's uh <laughs> It's kaiju in like a Godzilla movie, is like a Godzilla book in, in Mexico City. Um, there, there, there's there's more and more. Um, I mean, a lot of them are in El Pobrenio Ya, to be honest. Um, but far as like trends, I mean, like uh, we are doing a Chicano futurist, um, Chicano futurism anthology. It's El Pobrenio Ya too. We're, call- we're going to be probably calling it um, Chicano futurism now. It's open call right now. We're getting and we're taking um, this time rather than just short stories. We're taking nonfiction, poetry, uh, images, um, and and short stories and and, and screenplays. We're trying to op- really open it up, and um, you know we want people talking about the future because we do have people like uh, Armando is uh, you know he wrote the Chicano um, Manifesto at his 50 year anniversary. He wrote the Blueprint Papers reflected upon like the, the the words he wrote in 50 years ago and what's been accomplished then and what he still sees to come so this is a speculative sci-fi sci-fi document he wrote that's nonfiction, right because we're you know as we said like uh chicano is a sci-fi is a sci-fi state of being 
And there's also other authors, uh, Ernesto Morales, um, and we're also going to get something from Ernesto Ayala, I hope, um, that are writing that, that are involved in, in writing these uh, ideas about who we are. We have something from uh, Apacho Maiz um, about the ideas of nation. And, and so th- these are conversations that I think Chicano futurism, especially the spa- space, can really um, bring out to people. And it's not in it's not just um, nonfiction; it's fiction as well. These we need visions of ourselves. I I, I felt so odd. Like I can tell you, like um, we just had a workshop with um, it was still going on with uh, Lorna de Cervantes. I know she's a poet, of course. Um, she's famous in certain circles, of course. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if you know her, but like she's um, like I was, you know. Uh, I was younger, but it was still old, right? <laughs> when I first saw her in person, and I had never seen a Chicana from uh, Southern California, like it, uh, it would be someone of my mother's generation, right? I've seen plenty of Chicana's poets, right? But I had not seen someone in my mother's generation that, that was a poet like that, and like who spoke like my mother, like people, my aunts, my, my mother's friends, my, you know, like that. Um, and it, it means a big deal. It means a lot to be seen, right? It means a lot to be um, in, it, it, it's, uh, it, it, it it's like it's hard it's something hard to describe because um we're meant this society thinks we're only meant for um for things it doesn't like or or looks down upon and but to see that we're capable of 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 um of the arts you know of uh of a thought of um of more than just uh you know the the present moment and i think that being locked in the present is something we need to we got to think about the future to have a future, right? So, I mean, uh, you know, I always lost my train of thought. I apologize again, but <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I think uh, Chicano futurism, um, yeah, so the, the anthology is, so we're trying to open it up. I think fiction, like we got a lot of great fiction already, um, like different forms. Like we're not trying to, like, basically we're only stipulating it has to be about the future. We're really interested in saying, I think Chicano futurism that as a notion can be, wider than just about the future you know but like that we're just using this as a trope to really get people to be in this conversation of imagining ourselves because i see this as a place where it's um um non-fiction and fiction come together and i kind of have my own background and i don't i don't really i think anything memoir is uh actually speculative and non and, and is fiction and me kind of imposing my own editorial kind of thoughts about that as well right so um so yeah, that's what I see going on for with uh, Chicano sci-fi and Chicano futurism. I mean, there's a lot of people. I mean, you know, probably not be upset. I'm not mentioning them, but there, but there's a lot of folks out there. That and sounds it's like great. we're trying to bring them together. My, that that all sounds great. We are running out of time. My last question is: If someone is interested in applying to be in this next anthology, how would they go about doing so? Uh, go to uh, somosinscrito.com. That's somos s o m-o-s-e-n-e-s-r-i-t-o.com and you can see you can see there's a little banner at the top uh chicano futurism um open call and we're we're we're, uh we have the open call to july 1st but if you need more time you know always email us somelessinscrito at gmail.com at gmail.com yes gmail.com scott russell duncan thank you so much for being on the show thanks for having me i really appreciate it